So the uh, default mode of the mind is uh, as tanha in it, thirst, craving, strong, strong word, but emphatic kind of term. <coughs> but it's the underlying flavoring, the underlying leaning, the underlying bent of the mind is to have something belong to something, get something, find something. That's that's how it is. Mm. This isn't always something that's kind of uh, (coughs) rampant or or unwholesome in itself. You know, an inclination towards warmth when it's cold, food when it's hungry, when we're hungry, knowing where we are, what we belong to, feeling secure, okay with other people, quite natural forms of inclination or bent, you know, what's the right thing to do, what's the system here, is this okay, this kind of bent inclination of the mind, which is generally being um, filled, you know, generally being met from time to time, of course it's never met completely, as you know, just living in a community, it offers a kind of nervous sense of, am I okay? What do they feel? I'm all right here. Do people, do I belong here? Do I liked or whatever, you know? Doing the right thing. Mm. You know, so it's, uh, see, it's kind of great certainty, looking for certainty. <coughs> Something to do, leaning, the consciousness leans or seeks something to lean upon, inclined towards. And um, can get very tight at times, very contracted, grasping, quite fierce. And it becomes more obvious. <coughs> so what we try to do in, in meditation is the twofold process of loosening, softening, smoothing, relaxing, opening the mind so that it's it's like a it's not so intensely uh, trapped. And we start to reduce the topics or question the topics that our thirst inclines towards, sense pleasures, identity, status, success, achievement, these kinds of things, just start to question how real they are, how satisfying they are, how come people who've got them aren't any happier than we are. You know, it just uh, the sense of the, the insatiable nature of it, um, success or um, good fortune or whatever. There's temporary little lifts that they, they can give us. <coughs> so we start to question this uh, and look more at the energy, the kind of drive, the push, 
the wavering, the the sense of restlessness that it brings up, a sense of something wrong, something wrong with me, something not got yet, something not fulfilled yet, something I should be now. This kind of natural enough uh, craving for being something. So you have to kind of acknowledge this position, work from there. <coughs> One of the things that helps is, is preliminary recollections, Dhamma Nusati, recollection of Dhamma. It's a very um, generous and very uh, comforting recollection. something directly to be realized, timeless, inviting one to investigate, you know, beckoning inwards, um, something to be uh, directly known in oneself, and that which is known or realized through discernment, through clarity, through, through wisdom. So it's sort of sense in which Dhamma is something that's, you know, accessible to us. Or Panayiko sometimes is translated as accessible. You can get you can get onto it. <coughs> so just even this um, recollection. You know, not and the Buddha saying this is something that can be realized by each individual in themselves in, in a number of ways, in a range of ways. So we can, something in us can discern skillful from unskillful. We can get a feeling for that. We don't have to just believe in other people's opinions about that. We can actually sense what's skillful and unskillful from the effects, the kind of whether we get um, contracted, tight, grasping, hungry, or whether we feel satisfied, easeful, open. Things, you know, just getting a feeling for the, the skillful and the unskillful. Skillful is bright, joyful, releasing, the unskillful, grasping, tightening, holding on. So, you know, something in us can know that. We can, so with that facility we can trust. Something in us can uh, witness and watch. There is a, there's this ability to not be invested and involved with every thought or feeling. Even if we can't immediately uh, quell them, we can at least acknowledge, recognize, step back. This... Uh, this quality viveka, the ability to step back. And mindfulness, we can be mindful. That is, <coughs> we can bear something in mind, stay with it, bring something to mind, stay with it for periods of time. Something can be strengthened. We can, something that, that connects us to what's going on in a meaningful way. So mindfulness, if you like, connects the chitta, the heart, 
So these aren't, so what we experience isn't just, so what? It's actually something we feel involved, stirred by, affected by, gladdened by. So you start to select particular themes to bear in mind, to bring to mind, and to bear in mind themes that are worth giving one's energy towards. Loving kindness, calming, mm. slowing down, taking it easy, putting forth effort. So, you know, just uh, making putting forth effort something that's got a certain joyful quality to it, like uh, doing exercise, you just put forth some effort, bringing yourself into the, onto the breathing, walking up and down, just lifting bringing the mind onto that. So we have this ability to bring something to mind and to bear something in mind. <coughs> now we may have that to a greater and lesser degrees, but we all have that facility. And that's the facility that we encourage to bring to the fore. The Buddha said, you know, sitting upright, sitting at the root of a tree, bringing mindfulness to the fore something that's there as a potential but isn't always fully used. We can just glide, we can just coast. <coughs> when we have these faculties, these, these potentials, then to start to feel a sense of, uh, well, it's rather, there's a, there's the possibilities are there for liberation something discern, skillful, unskillful, something can um, witness, step back, something can bear themes in mind. So we have that, that and then just recollecting this. In itself, it tends to open the mind up from attaching to particular phenomena because when you recollect like this, you're not holding a particular thought or sight or sound or touch. You're actually referring to the the facility of the mind. What is this mind? You know, what actually is it about? What is the dumber of the mind? So it's always coming back. And uh, you know, a recollection like that for that moment, you at that time, you're not actually holding a particular object, we're just drawing yourself back to these potentials in the mind recollecting it so sometimes when we sit and meditate or sit quietly contemplate just a sense of opening up stepping back witnessing the flow of thoughts and energies and feelings and emotions that flood through this is a, and then shifting from the thought to the witnessing, very basic introduction to meditation. Just the thought, the feeling, the perception, the mood, and the witnessing of it. And lifting off from what feelings and moods, thoughts, sensations do, which they, they draw in and they become places for craving, 
craving to get rid of them, craving to solve them, craving to find an answer to them, craving to develop them, craving to proliferate around them. So you just just cut that particular place of craving and come back to somewhere where there's a more steadiness and openness. And you begin to experience that a kind of ease, the ease of non-attachment. There's thoughts, energies, negative moods, positive moods are just flowing through. And that you can do this. You don't have to approve or disapprove. So this is very helpful in itself, this recollection of Dhamma. The, we have this Dhamma faculty that takes us to another level, changes gear, you might say. And sometimes, uh, you know, in practice we just sit with that for a while and let that give us a sense of inner stability and, if you like, self-respect. We don't have to be anything or not be anything or make something or get rid of something. We just we can also be at this level of basic viveka, non-attachment. And just kind of let let the heart find a place of rest, stability in that. And sometimes with this you find that a lot of the um, complex issues start to deconstruct into quite simple primary issues. You know, the kind of three-paper document that one has in one's head of this and that and this and that comes down to something like irritation or frustration or mistrust or wanting or fear worry anxiety searching for you get the basic message and then you you can begin to see acknowledge some of these flavors of craving these themes of craving the energies of them and again when you touch into some of these primary energies then using something like a breathing, rhythm of breathing to give yourself a a standpoint sometimes when when it's a three page document it's quite complex but it hasn't got the same intensity as when you come down to something like you know, irritation, or grief, or or wanting, is the rawness of it. <clears throat> and these energies are very <clears throat> magnetic. They they attract. They, if you like, the ba- almost the basic energies of. Uh, ego or of life itself life forms itself of individuality itself is built upon um, having something being something getting something 
defending oneself, finding one's place as an individual. That's conventional that's reality, isn't it? Mm. We have the ability to step back from the, even from that. But we often need support to do so. Breathing in, breathing out, feeling the body in and of itself, feeling the body as a form. Rupa. Made of or even experienced in very elemental ways as earth, that is a sense of mass or solidity, whether that's rigid or shaky, tight, or just firm. Movement, the air element, whether it's breathing in and out, or just the movements of energies, shakiness, restlessness, unsettled quality, or it can be vigorous, breezy, air element, fire element, the quality of heat, or adhesiveness, that which attracts, that which fires up, inspiration, imagination, do it, you know, go for it, that kind of zestfulness, good or bad, water, the sense of everything being bound up together cohesion and when you experience the body in this way you're experiencing as rupa that is a, a, a form it's not really arms and legs rupa doesn't have arms and legs it doesn't have eyes and ears rupa is just the sense of shape or form and it's, it's made of or it's blended out of these four basic elements and sometimes a fifth space is added as an inferred element, that is, it's the diminution in the pressure or the intensity of the others. And when you experience your body sitting, you know, you can call things. When you close your eyes, you can call things, your leg or your back. But actually what you're experiencing is rupa. It's particular qualities of pressure, uh, movement, uh, fire, that is sometimes friction, kind of flinty sparking senses, water, melting, cohesive, flowing. Mm. This is what we experience. We mind rapidly interprets those. <coughs> but it's also the case that people sometimes, you know, lose an arm or a leg and still get the feeling of an arm or a leg through the interpretations that the mind makes about these fundamental nervous language of the nervous system. It presents these particular senses and they're rapidly interpreted depending how the nerves are. The rupa, you experience rupa, the first of the five aggregates. Rupa, as we often chant every day, is impermanent doesn't just mean that, you know, in 50 years, 10 years, two days, whatever it is, we're going to die, or that, you know, 
over a period of time, one's body gets bigger or smaller, thinner or fatter, uh, change of fact. It also means that this very moment, what we experience as, as body is really a, like a fountain, like a welling up of this arising of continual changing rupa, you know, differences of pressure, intensity, looseness, spaciousness, heat. It's fluctuating like a kaleidoscope. So when you start to uh, contemplate rupa as it actually is, then the quality of nama or naming it shifts from, you know, my leg, my arm, my head, I am this, that, the other, to just these very simple naming perceptions, earth, fire, air, water. You don't need to think them, it's more like sensing them for what they, how they really get you. You know, earth can feel positive as a nice, solid, grounded sense, or it can feel really heavy. Fire can be a bright vitality, or it can be a restless, blazing, over overcooking. Air can be a nice, uh, um, ventilating circulation, or it can just feel restless, you know, fluttering, un- unstable. Water can feel shapeless nothing really firm about it, or it can feel pleasantly harmonious. So these are, these are the kind of uh, senses we have of it. But it's, uh, when you come down to it, it's always just uh, these elements. And you can contemplate them as such. You can step back from the kind of naming that generates all sorts of mental habits of anxiety or um, distress or tightening up. You can see it in the world around you. You can see shapes, rupa, just objects occupying shape, occupying space, taking up this earth element, objects moving around, air element, Objects bright, light, shiny, fire element. Mm. Objects being stuck together, water element. In your own physical form, you feel how the, you know, the sensations feel linked together. The sensations we call our hand, arm, chest, neck, and so forth is kind of what connects them. What? You know, something, some energy connects all those sensations to a cohesive whole. We feel we have one body, not ten. Yet actually, you feel the sensations in your legs, sensations in your hands. They're, they're separate, aren't they? They're, they resonate with each other, but they're, they're different, different places. Why kaya is really uh, sometimes translated as group <clears throat> because the body is a group of sensations, energies, elements, feelings. It's a kind of clustering. It's not really a, a one thing, but 
we see it as one thing, so we conceive it as one thing. <coughs> and a sense of uh, identity with it occurs like that. Mind gets busy when it's like that. It's come back to the simplicity of just these elements in your mind. It's simpler, and you feel more the sense of detachment or non-involvement, and the quality of spaciousness or ease that that brings around. So when we follow breathing, what are we following? Flowing process, bearing the breathing in mind, staying with that. Mind is attending to what breathing means from moment to moment. If pressure changes from the moment of breathing in, there's a kind of tightness, then a release. You can feel things move and flow in the air element. You can feel energy lift, certain flushing, which is subtle fire quality, flushing, stopping, pausing, moving again. So you can actually witness it like that. And your mind is very, can be very clear with that. You're not, you're not tightening your mind up to try to find a particular place you know, in your body. So the mind is quite open and non-attached. Step back, receptive. And this this quality of Dhamma, to be able to step back, is something to trust. Often, the more we try to be mindful of breathing, the worse it gets. The tighter it gets, the more constricted it gets, the less flowing it gets. As we add a mental attitude of got to get it, got to make it, rather than the fact is we've been breathing all our lives, um, you know, and what, what, just the, giving yourself the chance to say, how do you, are you sure you're breathing? How do you know it? What tells you that? Trusting the natural facility of the mind when it, as it opens up. Breathing is one of the practices of Buddha Dhamma. So we can sense of just opening up, trusting it. And that sense of uh, trusting the Dhamma of breathing, trusting that from that place of trusting mindfulness, trusting awareness, trusting that, then it loosens up the craving, the tightening, the fear, the anxiety, the compulsion. So that affects your energies, and the energies affect the breathing, and it affects the mind. Your mental focus becomes more spacious, calm, assured, and you sense what you can sense in terms of breathing in and breathing out. Because the quality of trust or 
we call it faith, sadha, has to be balanced with discernment, which means, yeah, we're open, trusting, and yet we balance that out with, let's have a clear point here. So mindfulness bears it in mind, a certain amount of energy to keep applying that, and then the discernment to sense, well, this is where this is really what's happening right now. Not this, but this, 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 this. And the sense of collecting or gathering oneself around a theme. These are the, called the five indriya. Faith, energy, well, mindfulness, collectedness or gatheredness, samadhi, and wisdom, discernment. You call it something like wisdom, sounds like it's an incredible amount of knowledge. But wisdom is just the ability to know this is this, it's not that. It's just precision, you might say. So where actually is breathing now, for example? How do you know it? That's that's wisdom. <laughs> and what's what's your attitude? Is it skillful or unskillful? Are you coming from a place of Dhamma? Or is it from one of those programs of uncertainty or regret or impatience? So opening up and bearing something in mind, breathing in mind, discernment, and the kind of steady, come back, be here, let go of that, of continual, persistent energy dependent on your resources, how much energy, how much you have as a resource. It will increase because samadhi itself or the gathering in, collecting faculty restores energy because your mind isn't spinning out using it all up in 101 things the more you're able to just collect your energy will by itself will accumulate and therefore you have more energy to apply so the thing is it's a skillful feedback loop rather than a dissipation whereby you can't meditate very well therefore I worry about not being able to meditate very well. Therefore, I feel unhappy about worrying. Therefore, I start to fantasize about what I should be or could be. You know, how it all just leaks away down these karmic patterns. And, you know, you have to recognize that none of us can meditate perfectly or very well, you know. At times, you can't meditate very well at all. But you always got to start with a place of trust in Dhamma and hope, just opening it up, recollecting, bringing yourself back to what is skillful, start from there. Just witnessing body as rupa, as changing elements. So that that (coughs) non-attachment, the mindfulness and non-attachment and discernment have faith in that and it gradually your sense within that the rhythms of breathing in, breathing out the flows and fl- and the energies of them and your mind is attracted to that because it's steadying and regenerating 
So there's a sense of ease that comes with that. Often we, when we practice together, or practice, do formal practice, we have sitting, walking. Walking is also a very helpful meditation practice. So, <clears throat> simply speaking, again, it's that you come back to uh, where do we start with walking? And we start exactly the same place as we start with sitting, which is just opening the mind. You know, uh, where am I now? I'm standing. What's happening now? Opening the mind up, putting aside the thoughts or feelings that take you away from that, just determining a sense of this is a theme I'm picking up, bringing mindfulness into walking. And then, what's it like to walk? What is walking about anyway? How do you know you're walking? How does a body walk? Start like you're a complete idiot and you really just want to, or a scientist, you know, if you want to, probably, probably easier to start as an idiot, but <laughs> just exploring, you know, stand and then, okay, you're about to wonder what actually happens first. You get a, a certain impulse comes through the nervous system, a certain collecting to the body. Which muscles start to operate first? What happens first? You know, you get a shifting of the weight onto one leg and then something starts lifting the other leg, moving it around. It generally begins somewhere in your back or your hip. Pulling the leg up. And then something turns one leg forward and you feel that shifting. And then the pressure when the foot touches the ground and then the the weight shifts to that leg. So you get this sense of the rhythmic shifting of weight. And you can contemplate all this as rupa, as the shifting of earth, of solidity, of, of, of movement, earth and air, <coughs> as you walk along. You don't have to name it as such, as an, as an idea, but just noticing you know, the real textures of movement, what actually, how we know we're moving, what, you know, there's a sense of lessening of pressure, shifting of tensions, senses of release, senses of, of, of firmness when contact is made, lessening of it when we, when we lift the foot, the sense of space and openness. You kind of flow into those textures, and you just feel them all changing. Changing of rupa. So one feels rather different standing than sitting. The rupa is different. Walking is different. It's a different form. You say it's the same body, but that's, you know, in a direct experience, it's a different rupa, different form. There isn't, there isn't a solid one or a real one. It's just changing ones. When we're with movement and change, there's also, if you like, uh, 
an awareness, a mental awareness that's watching, that's witnessing, and that feels more steady, feels to be like something that's not changing. So when you're directly with movement, you also experience the non-movement that the movement is discerned by. So every you do movement steadily, carefully, you can recognize the kind of space, a sensed space around the movement. And you're not, so when, you, when it's like that, you realize you're not hold, holding on to the particular sensations, nor are you avoiding them. You're just creating a kind of openness around sensations, around, and this definitely has an effect on the energies that affect the body and the mind. Notice how, you know, when we get compulsive, how tight, how jerky, how heavy our movements are. Speedy. Because we're not with the full movement, we're with the beginning, and then there's the rush to the end. There's a kind of blur, you know, with the whole process. And when you keep doing that with every movement, then the mind, the mental space is always disturbed, broken up, because you're not tracking the whole movement. It is with the beginning of it and the end of it. You don't track the whole process. So the mind, the mental space is broken. It's agitated. We haven't haven't borne the movement in mind. We weren't mindful of the movement. And this is pretty standard because most of our movements are to get something done, to arrive somewhere, to get to a particular place. You, know, you may very well come in through the door, you know, and there's a sense of there's a seat, and you really, you know, get to the seat. The bit in between is just nothing really. But what's it like to take every movement with equal importance, since they all have to be done? Know, every footstep and how much energy is needed in every step you know, let mindfulness dis- determine speed, pressure what's really needed if it's not needed it's unskillful if it's not needed it's motivated by some kind of pressure some anxiety, some compulsion some impatience, some fluster what's really needed in a movement when you find what's needed then the mind the mental pressures subside you feel a sense of spaciousness and in that the energies of the mind become calm the body is not gripped and the energies of the body and the energies of the mind can start to meet so you find that walking steadily uh, builds up energy. Breathing in and out builds up energy because instead of it being dissipated through impatience or restlessness or distractedness, it's being held within the whole sphere of mindfulness, which is, if you like, bearing the whole thing in mind. It's containing it all collecting it all. Mindfulness is a, is a form 
or a support for concentration. Support because it gathers things in. It says, be with this, not with that. Bear this in mind. So it, it gradually brings around this collecting effect. This is why it's, it's the factor of the path that precedes samadhi. And it's called the nimitta of samadhi. So sometimes people talk about samadhi nimittas, but the only samadhi nimitta that's mentioned in the canon is, is the four foundations of mindfulness. You know, these are the these are the mark. These are the characteristic. These are the boundary markers of samadhi. Mindfulness. You do that, samadhi gathers by itself. So when we walk, stand, sit, just that sense of coming back to the trust, the receptive mind, balancing discernment, not just receiving any old stuff, but starting to, you know, focus, sati, bearing bearing a theme in mind, and letting that bring, gather up samadhi. Try it as you practice walking, you practice, when you track a moving object, with the sense of the unmoving then this naturally comes back to mindfulness of breathing the breathing is always moving but around that there's stillness steadiness 